0: First, the early years are the most formative, Um, and it is in those years that a child is learning to trust the world, to feel safe, to feel secure, to feeling like they matter. And so if they are experiencing one of these or many of these adverse childhood experiences, then they're not going to feel any one or several of the attributes that I just mentioned.
1: This week... Researchers suspect more than half of all kids in the United States experience at least one traumatic event in their childhood. The number of events and the gender of the child might impact their behavior. Dr. Karen Sherman dives into two BYU studies. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, HitchedMag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the original, the brilliant, Dr. Karen Sherman. <laughs> Hi, Karen.
0: Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thank you for joining. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is also the author of a couple books Mindfulness and the Art of Choice Transform Your Life, and co author of Marriage Magic Find It, Keep It, Make It Last. You can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Okay, so today we are going to talk about uh, two studies uh, out of BYU, uh, Brigham Young University, on essentially like how childhood trauma impacts boys and girls differently. And so uh, the researchers from BYU looked at adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs, which may include abuse, neglect, and severe household dysfunction in boys and girls. And then they looked at the impact they had in their childhood and later into their adult life. 61% of Americans, the researchers uh, said, have at least one of these ACE events. Um, They found that when girls experienced four or more ACEs by the age of five, they were thirty-six percent more likely to participate in delinquent behavior. Do you think there's something to the number of aces and the age at which these uh, happen?
0: Absolutely. Now, I'm I'm going to make a comment later on in regard to the fact that we're looking at. Um, girls and delinquent behavior. But for now, let me just respond to the last part of the question, which is about the number of ACEs and the age at which it happens. The um, first, the early years are the most formative. Um, And it is in those years that a child is learning to trust the world, to feel safe, to feel secure, to feeling like they matter. And so if they are experiencing one of these or many of these adverse childhood experiences, then they're not going to feel um, any one or several of the attributes that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Feeling like the world is safe, feeling like they're secure, feeling like they're loved, feeling like they matter in the world. And if that is your basic world uh, or your basic sense of being in the world at a very young age, then absolutely it's going to have an impact much later in life. And many of my clients will talk to me about the fact that, well, yes, these things did happen to me, but they're in the past and, you know, I'm aware of them and, you know, I've gotten over them. Mm-hmm. And so why are you telling me that the, the, way that I'm acting now or um, the patterns that I'm having in my relationship go back to that. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, we know for certain that these early experiences have very definitive consequences in somebody's adult life.
1: Mm -hmm. And when you say we know for certain, um, is it because we can now see the wiring in the brain and how it responds? Like, what do you, how, how, how are we so
0: certain about this? Well, because we do understand the brain much better. And through the different types of therapy that we do now uh, that are available to us, which I'll talk about later in okay. our segment, um, we can actually trace where some of the reactions people are having really go back to these early childhood experiences. Okay. Okay. So we, we know for sure. Okay. Um, and we also know the deleterious effects, the, the negative impact that when you don't have certain experiences, the consequences of it. If you want to take something that's easy to look at, Um, We can look at the unfortunate circumstances in Russia when so many of the children were left in orphanages Mm. and they were not given love and care. And we know um, from studying all of those children when they got to be adults how much they were missing in their ability to attach to other people in being able to show love and to – feel safe in a loving relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And I have one other, um, definition type question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so the researchers highlight, uh, one of the adverse childhood experiences being neglect. Mm -hmm. Um, just, could you help define that a little bit? So is it, is neglect when the kid wants a parent to come watch a cartoon with them and they're like, no, I'm busy. Is that the kind of neglect we're talking about or is this something different?
0: That certainly is. If that goes on on a continual basis, yes. Um, It's neglect where at a a young age, if a child um, is crying and needs to be fed and the parent doesn't respond to it, um, even in the first year, Mm. especially in the first year, um, the child will feel neglected, that their needs are not being they're not being met, but it can go from something as harsh as that, that the child's basic needs of being fed, of being changed, aren't being responded to, to, um, you know, a child constantly saying, oh, you know, mommy, daddy, come watch me or come sit with me to a parent who is just never home. Mm -hmm. Um, Any one of those can be under the category of neglect. Now, that being said, there are going to be times where a parent can't respond to the child's every need. So that isn't necessarily neglect. But one of the things that's really, really important is that when children are growing up, um, their world is very much um, around themselves. Uh, It's egocentric. Mm -hmm. And they really feel that whatever happens is because of them. Mm -hmm. And so when they are... Um, experiencing abuse or neglect or not getting feelings about being loved, etc. They believe it is their fault that they mm-hmm. are the cause of it. So it's impossible to be a perfect parent. And if there are days or weeks or situations where you are not this perfect parent, At the very least, if you go to your child and say, I wasn't being the best mommy or the best daddy I could be, and to some extent maybe explain it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go into gory details, but to some extent explain it. But at the very least, take ownership of it and then say it had nothing to do with you you didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault. That goes a very long way for healing the negative consequences of the neglect or the abuse, Mm. et cetera. So, um, it really comes
1: back to, particularly if they're old enough to communicate, communicating with them so that they, uh, know that because you could communicate with them, and do it in a uh, unproductive manner, saying something like, well, if you weren't such a brat or something like that. Which, oh, absolutely. Right? Because then mm-hmm. you've just like thrown gasoline onto the neglect. Um, that is correct. Uh, so what you really want to do is do it in a positive way where you uh, kind of ease their ego to to let them know that it wasn't their fault so that the, yes. the effects of that neglect – Uh, don't have any kind of lingering consequences, if I'm understanding this correct. Correct. Okay, okay. so one of the other interesting things that the researchers found was that the ACEs did not seem to have the same kind of impact on boys. Um, But they did highlight and point out that boys in general uh, participated in more delinquent behavior than the girls did uh, naturally. Um, Why do you think that the ACEs didn't have the outwardly effect
0: Uh, on the boys like they seem to have on the girls? Okay. So I think our regular listeners know that I get these questions ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And when I read that question, it stumped me for a while. And I had to read the study a couple of times. And this is what I came up with. Though they looked at lots and lots and lots of people, they gathered the people that they looked at from homes and you correct me if you think I've misread this Steve okay. that were um of a lower socioeconomic status. Yeah, that was my understanding eight. too. Yep. Okay. That being said, I think that I don't know if the result is truly representative across the board. In ah. other words, in other words, um It may be something about that population where you're going to see girls acting out more in this delinquent type of way. Whereas if it was a study that included all socioeconomic statuses, girls would not show – as much of the delinquent behavior, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't have been impacted. Mm -hmm. And if you were looking at this larger type of grouping that I'm suggesting, you wouldn't have found this result that boys um, are more prone to delinquency, but oh, look at this, it turns out that the girls are. We Mm -hmm. expect boys to be delinquent anyway. So that was one piece I thought of. The other was that in general, in our society, we expect boys to be rough and tumble, mm. and you know boys will be boys, and boys right. are going to be more physical. So I think that again, since that tends to be the way the boys function, it's not um, it's it's not a surprise that they would get into delinquent kinds of behavior or behavior where they're acting out because that's already the way that they've already been vetted, so to speak. But this this finding about girls, I'm just not sure if it would hold up if all socioeconomic status families were being researched.
1: Right. No, that is a great observation. I love that take. Um, one of the things, I just had to look it up really quick, Um So they looked at the, this population for 15 years and Mm -hmm. one of the, to your point about the low socioeconomic, uh, stuff, um, these were, uh, born a high population that was born poor, uh, to single parents. Mm. Um, and and then it says, or minority families, which I think is like really weird that that's how they lumped this together. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm, a, like, I'm just going to take a stab because I don't have the raw data to see how, how many of them are single mm-hmm. parents. Um, mm-hmm. But we know, you know statistically that when we say single parents, it's usually statistically a single mother, not a single father, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which would mean that the boys have to potentially – if we're talking about 15 years, that means we're getting into the teenage years. They become yes. the quote-unquote man of the house. And right. maybe they take on some of that type of responsibility a little bit more. So mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the acting out isn't in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of my hot take on yes. this.
0: Yes, I think that's a good point.
1: Um, okay, so the researchers in another study uh, looked at how ACEs impact men and women in adult life, and I have to say that they were they kind of compared it to uh, women from other studies, but so they just focused on men in the in the new research. Um, they looked and found that fathers who had experienced at least three aces were more likely to use harsh disciplinary techniques. Um, and I, you know, maybe this gets back to what you were just saying. Uh, so why would men react this way as fathers? um, for something that happened, you kind of mentioned this at the top, but they're acting as this way with the harsh disciplinary techniques as fathers when these things happened to them when they were five years old.
0: Well, again, you're right. As I said at the beginning, um, these patterns, um, go back to early childhood. And, um, if they have not been dealt with, with as children in a loving, kind way where parents weren't stressed and they could offer them alternatives or let's talk this out, or I'm curious how you would handle it, you know, in, in a much more supportive, uh, loving way, they never learned it. They, they didn't have any role model to show them. And so we often find that when we're parenting, we end up doing what our parents did, you know, you mm-hmm. might say, oh, I'm not going to do that, but you end up doing what your parents did because you have no other resource to call on. So it's really like repeating learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we know that, you know, we know that children who have come from abuse tend to be abusive mm-hmm. um, because it's a pattern that they learned and they don't know another way to be. And they don't have the resources to deal with. Stress and as wonderful as children are, they are stressful. They don't have the resources to deal with the stress. And so they revert to what they know, mm-hmm. which is what they grew up with. Right. And so therefore, the abuse tends to be cyclical.
1: Right. Um, and so this kind of piggybacks off that. So the men were also. Uh, the fathers were less likely to exhibit positive parenting characteristics such mm-hmm. as giving affection to their kids, providing care for young children, and being emotionally supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The more right. ACEs a father had, the greater their effect on his his parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So these researchers looked at fathers, but do you think that these characteristics could be found in men in other circumstances throughout their life, not just par- parental situations?
0: You know, I thought about that a lot. And I have to say, I think that when we look at situations where somebody's having difficulty, if they had a good childhood, if they had a good foundation, when they get to other circumstances, when they're 15, 16, 17, they can handle it because they've had the Foundation. They've had the structure. They've had the resources. And so there aren't other circumstances, barring, barring, let's say, if somebody gets uh, sexually attacked mm-hmm. later in life. But pretty much, if you've had a solid foundation, you're able to deal with life. Um, I couldn't – I mean, maybe you can think of it, but I couldn't think of too many circumstances – that would throw somebody so badly that they couldn't deal with life later on unless it had happened in the formative years.
1: Right. I, I guess I was just trying to think of how, um, if you were exhibiting these characteristics of not showing affection or not mm-hmm. being emotionally supportive as a parent, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you were, say, a boss in a workplace, would you have because it's about relationships? Or I guess that's my question: Does this transfer to other relationships, or is this very specifically uh, trickle down to parental relationships? Of
0: this is how no, i was I treated th- by th- my parents, or does this I how I treat that people? This is going to go. I think this is going to go across the board. I mean, it, it, you might be able to. Have better control over it in work situations or with friends, mm-hmm. but just you can still get triggered. You can right. absolutely still get triggered. You're more likely to get triggered with the people who are closest to you because they're going to um, tap more into your emotional energy. But this is going to be across the board. I guess mm-hmm. I misunderstood your question. No, I, that's I fine.
1: Thought, uh, and, okay. and to answer the what you were the the follow up that you asked me. Um, I mean, I think you used rape as the example as the one or sexually assaulted as the Mm -hmm. one that was, um, something that would really shut someone down. I I think, um, I, I just, I guess I was just kind of thinking of like other ways that people would feel violated, like really Mm -hmm. violated. Um, so I could, I could imagine say a robbery or coming home and seeing your house ransacked or something, um, where you feel like you're no longer safe in your home, even though you weren't personally attacked. I don't know if that would have, I mean... I, I think you're right. I
0: think that that would certainly be devastating. Um, but again, I think that people have a degree of reactions and responses to difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And clearly the better foundation you have, the more opportunity you have for um, dealing in a better way to adverse situations.
1: Yeah. I actually, now that I'm thinking of it and I can't believe this, it wasn't the first thing that came to my mind, but my wife, um, actually had somebody die in her arms in an accident. Mm. Um, and it was a, a gruesome death with a lot of blood mm. and whatnot. And mm. that had a like really, really serious impact on her. So that was one that, um, really shook her to her core. Hmm.
0: Let me ask you something, though. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. After she processed that and dealt with it, because that's a horrible experience, of course, did you find that it had lasting impact on other behaviors of hers? Or was it a specific, difficult, horrible experience that... After it was over and she dealt with it, presuming she did. She did. It was over. Um,
1: I, you know, I do think it has had some lingering impact on her because, I, I, I mean, she's talked about it publicly before. Uh, she has her own podcast, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it, it was an accident. It, a, a guy ran through a glass uh, door, like sliding door, and slit mm-hmm. his throat. And she, um, was an athletic trainer. So she has that kind of training, mm-hmm. uh, to deal with like trauma injuries. And she went and tried to stop the bleeding and was, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, she had like really gnarly PTSD and, mm-hmm. um, I she would. Yeah. And so, uh, it, I mean, it had a pretty devastating effect on her, but she did a ton of therapy, like a ton of therapy, which was fantastic and um and a lot you know honestly it kind of allowed her to dip into other things in her mm-hmm. life so that mm-hmm. was great as well um you know it's i don't know how to answer the question i feel like i f- would need to ask her specifically i know like and and safety things like she <laughs> pays more attention to windows and things like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um uh and like the quality of glass um Yeah, I don't know, because she's always been a – because she has had family members who have experienced pretty gnarly trauma themselves Mm -hmm. and being Mm -hmm. being attacked um, as well. And so she has already had, like, the radars up and stuff. So, I yeah, I don't know if it actually had a a lasting impact where she changed her behavior after that, maybe solidified –
0: some of the things that she believed before. Um, and So we're not going to go into a therapy session here, but I right. have to ask this question, which is you said that she had other situations with other family members. Mm-hmm. You know, I would question at what age did those things happen and what was her involvement? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, it, in fact, this one that you're describing could have in fact been a trigger to those others. And then it would become very traumatic. Mm. Just an interesting point.
1: Oh, that is that I will actually bring that up to her because the one that I mentioned was college and the, uh, the other one that I was thinking of, I think she was a kid. I'm, well, I'm pretty positive well, she was a kid. Do get
0: back to me on that.
1: I will. That is, okay. that is what, a, what an insight. <laughs> yes. I hope you guys all enjoyed this therapy session with uh, Steve Cooper <laughs> and Dr. Karen Sherman. Um, okay. The last question here. Let's end on a high note here. Um, the good news is, well, what is the good news? Particularly since 61%, according to these researchers, have experienced, as mm-hmm. my wife has, at least one ACE
0: uh, in their life. So the good news is that years ago, we used to think that once the brain was grown, it was done. Mm -hmm. And now we know the phrase is that the brain has capacity for plasticity, meaning that the brain can be rewired. And we have many techniques now, many types of therapy that can actually address these early traumas and rewire the brain around them. So in other words, when your brain reacts, you know, something happens where it feels, it's experienced by the brain as the original harmful situation. And therefore you react as if it is the original harmful situation. But these newer therapies allow the person to rewire the brain so that it's making a new connection. Mm. And when the situ- a situation that would have typically set off an old response, it gets healed and it doesn't it no longer sets it off. Right. Um, a lot of people um, you know have difficulty. With the concept of going to therapy, you think they think that it means they're weak. My experience is <clears throat> that you have to really be a strong person to go through therapy because it's not easy looking at your stuff. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that a lot of people tend to think that when you go to therapy, you go and you talk about your problems. And it is good to have insight into your problems and to understand what was the cause of it. But I am a major, major strong believer that the typical cognitive therapy, the typical talk therapy is not going to do it when you've had ACEs Um, because the reaction is really a somatic experience, an experience that's taking place in the body. And by merely talking about it and understanding it, you're not doing the healing that's needed in the body and in the brain. So there are a host of therapies now that are available. Uh, There is EMDR, Mm -hmm. eye movement desensitization reprocessing. There is brain spotting. Any type of the somatic, somatic meaning body, any type of the somatic um, therapies are going to be much more, uh, appropriate if these kinds of experiences happened early on. Um, though I know about sp- brain spotting and I actually know the originator of it, I am not well versed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have been trained in EMDR at a level two, but I haven't done it in years. So I won't do it anymore because I don't feel I would be doing my clients justice, Um, There's a huge amount of research on EMDR and how effective it is. So I can say without a doubt um, that that is an extremely effective therapy for these kinds of traumas. Mm -hmm. I'm
1: so glad you brought up EMDR because that is one of the therapies that my wife participated in. And yeah. it and was that's basically
0: what my book is about also, Steve.
1: Yeah. And one it, of my books. Yeah. It, uh, what, what, so for the listener, which book is the one that focuses uh, on? EMDR? That's
0: uh, The Art of Choice. Mindfulness and The Art of Choice. Yeah. yeah. And and quite frankly, let me let me just explain. It's not really EMDR. It's a sort of like a, excuse me, bastardized, bastardized version of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the idea is to go back And re-experience some of what you're feeling uh, through visualizations because the brain does not know the difference between reality and visualizations, but going back to the early childhood experiences and creating visualizations that are healing. So I don't want to pass it off as EMDR. It is not. Um, and in the book, I even suggest that people might want to use this with the help of a professional, but it's along those lines. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, but you were saying that Jess went for EMDR and that is absolutely the treatment of choice.
1: And it was, I have to say it was because she did a lot of the talk therapy and then she did the EMDR and that was the thing where things really turned for the better. Um, like it had such an impact. I'm, I am. Like I, I wanna scream it from the mountaintops. <laughs> it's such a yes. it was so effective. So yes, um, I highly recommend that. So I think we have given people uh so you know, hope that uh or knowledge that the the brain has elasticity, plasticity to it to rewire. Um there is AMDR and there is the fantastic book called Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life, which is a good accompaniment to all of these solutions. Did I miss anything?
0: No, I think you got it all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, was there anything else, or do you want to wrap this up? No, okay. I think I think uh, we we said a lot, and it's a lot for people to uh, take in. But again, um, your past does not have to define you. Right.
1: Yes, and that is the. I hope that's the takeaway here. Is uh, things happen and some worse than others some multiple times uh various things and the beauty of it is you can take control of the situation take control of your life as an adult and hopefully work through them uh and to your point it's not going to be easy um you know when you talked about the stigma of therapy and that sort of thing I know I've brought it up a hundred times about, you know, everybody knows how to run, but you know, track stars will get a person that helps them, teaches them how to run more efficiently and better. And I think about singers like rock stars, they have vocal coaches to teach So if you want a strong mind, uh, there is no shame in therapy. I mean, that is, that's how I, that's how I look at it at least. So hopefully that, uh, helps change a mind or two. Okay. We will wrap this up. Um, You have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman. Thank you so much for your time, Karen. It is always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. As we just mentioned, she is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. Karen is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information and more at her website, drkarensherman.com. Uh, you can find this information, information on our website, hitchedmag.com, where we have the entire podcast archive. We have thousands of articles available to you for free. We have a newsletter. And uh, if you liked what you heard and you thought it was helpful and you think others might benefit from what you're listening to, uh, please feel free to give us a rating or review that helps, uh, helps the algorithms. Uh, know what people are responding to and will serve us up when people are searching for this type of information so that's greatly appreciated okay that's going to do it until next time take care everybody